had a phone conversation with my son this week. Uh, this is the one who is in the last week or two of his um, training to be a chef. And uh, he's enrolled and about to graduate from a French Culinary Institute in the Houston area. And part of his assignment to graduate involves an internship that he is serving at a Mexican food restaurant in the Houston area. It's, uh, it's not exactly Taco Bell, uh, although Taco Bell's fine, but by the way, happy Mother's Day, let's go to Taco Bell. Yeah, so that's not where he works. Uh, but the place that he works uh, required him on Cinco de Mayo to be at work at 6 o'clock in the morning. I asked him how it went working at a Mexican food restaurant on Cinco de Mayo. And he said, well, Dad, I'll just put it to you this way. I got a little overtime in. I said, how so? He said, I had to be there at 6, and I finally went home at 1030 at night. Overtime, or overtime. Let's talk about both today. Take a Bible and go with me to the book of 1 Corinthians. We're now in the second week of our series entitled Love Works. And the point of the message today is that love works overtime. Or we might say love works over space, pause, time. Both are true as we find Paul laying it out for us in 1 Corinthians 13. You may or may not remember that as we come to 1 Corinthians 13, Paul is in the middle of a discussion with a church that does not do personal relationships very well at all. It's all about for them, the Corinthian house churches. It's all about posturing. It's all about uh, getting a leg up on the others, and they've taken the value system of the world. They pulled it into the church, and in the process of doing that, they do not treat each other well at all. So Paul says, let's talk about love. And so in 1 Corinthians 13, the first three verses is where we were last week, Actually, I'll back it up to the last part of 1231. He says, and I will show you a still more excellent way. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned but have not love, I gain nothing. What Paul has said in these few verses there is that no matter what of those great, powerful, showy spiritual gifts that the Corinthian Christians were trying to, to get or trying to promote, Paul said you can do all of those things, but if your love is wrong, then you just get it wrong. It's an interesting perspective that he takes. And then he turns, and as we move into today's text, in the first part of verse 4, we find the first of 15 different statements that Paul gives us about love. Now, we're tempted to say these are descriptions of love, and that's true enough, but Paul has a little bit different angle on it than just to lay out there what love might look like. As a matter of fact, what we find is he begins now to promote for us this underlying foundational kind of truth, and that is that love, while it works, it's effective in a relationship. He also promotes the fact that love has to work. It has to be worked. And so the first part of verse 4, in English it says, love is patient. 
Patient is a key word there, but what we find with the way Paul writes this is, is we lose it in our English translation sometime. Because, let me just do this. Let me take you back to your middle school grammar class. I'm going to give you about 10 seconds to get over the negative feelings about that. Your middle school grammar class, when you learned about things like, oh, adjectives, for instance. And an adjective does what? It describes. Thank you. I want to make sure that I was right, so I'll let you teachers out there answer that for me. An adjective describes, right? So a yellow cat, for instance. Yellow. Okay, so when we come to this passage in this first description of love that Paul gives us, in English, it looks like patient is the adjective. But I want to take you back to that class and remind you what a verb does. What does a verb do? It talks about action, right? And so Paul writes this not with 15 adjectives, but with 15 verbs. What we draw from that, and as we work our way through this list of 15 over the coming five weeks or so, Uh, We're going to find that 15 different times Paul says love, and then he puts a verb in there that gives us a piece of what verbs, I mean, of what love does. Love works. I like the way one scholar said it in coming to this particular passage. He says it this way, love only has meaning when we see it in action. That's important for us, I think, to get that because our society tends to take it the other direction. What Paul is saying is that he's promoting this. Love is the more excellent way, and you can have all this other stuff, but if you get love wrong, then you just get life wrong. But if you get love right, that means your love is active in your relationships with people. Our society often turns that the other way, and our society, which is so bent on claiming rights for ourselves, that we often take the perspective that says, well, that person is not loving me the way they should. We might say it this way, using the way our English translation translates this here. If love is patient, well, my spouse is never patient with me. Or my children try my patience. We'll come back to the children part of that in just a few minutes, but let me make sure that we get this right. Our society is so bent on claiming rights for ourselves that when we don't get those rights, we tend to turn that on the other person or the other entity and hold it against them. I was in a restaurant this week. It was lunchtime. I had about this much time before I had a meeting back here at the church, and so I went to one of the local restaurants downtown here and grabbed a quick lunch. And while I was sitting there by myself, uh, there was another table right close to where I was with another individual sitting there by herself. And as a waiter walked by, this other lady says to the waiter, "Uh, what is the name of the manager of this place? Well, immediately, (laughs) I always like watching customer service, and immediately that waiter went into damage repair mode. He wasn't sure if it was his problem or what, but he said, so is there a problem? Could I do something to help you with? And the, the lady said, no, I don't, I don't want you to do anything. I just want to know the name of the manager. And as I eavesdrop on that conversation, well, they were talking loud. I couldn't help but hear it. And I did need a sermon illustration after all. 
the lady said this, I don't want y'all to do anything. I just want the name of the manager so that I can report that manager to corporate because, and then she said something wasn't right with her experience there. And then she added to that, and by the way, this will be the last time I eat at this restaurant. I think that models for us a great picture for us of how people are in our society. If it's not going my way, I'll just go somewhere else. By the way, people like that about church too, you know, which is one of the reasons Paul writes this, you know, because he's doggedly evangelistic with the Corinthian Christians. And he knows that what's going on inside that church is killing their witness in the community. Christians must get love right. But it's hard to get love right. And one of the reasons it is is because it, by definition, involves other people. And people are messy in our relationships with them. And we live in a society that takes it on the receiving end of everything. Well, I should get love. I should get this from you. And if I don't, then I'll just find another relationship to have. Love works, it's effective, but it also has to work. And Paul drives that point home with 15 verbs that express how love behaves. So with that in mind, let's look at this first description that he gives. Love is patient. Our translations help us to understand a little bit of some of the frustration that translators have with this word. Because we have on one side patient, and another translation says it this way in good king's English, suffereth long. I didn't hear anybody say suffereth all week long for some reason. And then another translation says love is long-suffering. But those by themselves might not ring all that clearly for you, so let's pull it apart a little bit and clarify what we think we're getting. So, so one of the things that happens is we, we take the word patient and we make it very passive. Now, even though by, seems like most of the time by definition, when we say we're patient or trying to be patient, it's a passive thing, but it also kind of shows that we're in some kind of a situation that it's trying our patience. And so when we say love is patient, it conjures up some images. Well, let me just ask you this. Some of you may be physicians. I, I, why is it that our doctors, our physicians, refer to us as patients? I think I have an answer to that. After, see, one of my favorite doctors of my life was Dr. John Worrell. And Dr. Worrell was my doctor for some 20 years. And uh, I, I never really put the word patient, that's with a T on the end, with the word patience, like we find in this passage, until I started going to Dr. Worrell and found myself waiting in his waiting rooms for sometimes three, four hours at a time before I could see him. You could just be sure with Dr. Worrell that if you made an appointment at four o'clock in the afternoon, you would not get in to see him until nine, maybe nine thirty, ten o'clock at night. And the reason for that was Dr. Worrell would sit down with me every time I went to see him, every time I went to see him. 
He would sit down with me for at least an hour, and he would start through the whole process. Well, how are you feeling? I see that we did this last time. How'd that turn out for you? He'd take that little board, and he'd stick it in my mouth and, you know, look down my throat and all. He, every time I went, he spent an hour with me, no matter what the issue was for me. And in doing so, he communicated that I mattered to him, that I was not just another paycheck coming through or, or payment coming through for him. This was genuinely a relationship-based position. That didn't change the fact that my appointment would be at what time, and then I would sit three or four hours in his waiting room waiting patiently or not. See, sometimes I think we tend to believe that patient as it is here is a very passive experience. Something's not going exactly right, and so I have to go and I have to do this. I have to wait, and I have to wait. And our society is not built on waiting too much anymore. As my friend told me one time, I don't have time for patience. I'm, I'm just way too busy. So Paul uses a word here that helps us to see differently. First of all, it's a verb. And we can't really say love patiences. That's not good. So what does he mean with this? What does love look like in action? So he takes two words, and he just crams them together to make one word. And those two words become one now have some implications on how we should understand what he says here. One of the words is long. The other one has two different meanings, and both of them apply into this. One of them is angry, and the other one is to be passionately longing for something. So Paul takes those two words, he sticks them together. Here's one of the first ways we might take this then, that we might say Paul says, love long tempers itself. Long dash temper. Maybe the opposite of this will help you a little bit. We say that someone has a short fuse. This is that person who is something like a vapor cloud of gasoline walking through life just waiting for a spark to set them off. You know people like that, right? Short-tempered, immediately jump to worst-case scenario, jump down your throat, get on the Internet and send emails to people. That's this word. Actually, this word is the opposite of that person. Instead of being a short fuse, this is the person who is long-tempered. This is the person who can take their anger, even righteous anger, and push it away, push it to the long haul. By definition, this is the person who carries with them a certain amount of clout, a certain amount of power that they can, in fact, take it out on people, but they choose not to do that. Abraham Lincoln is a great example of that. In his inaugural address, his second inaugural address, after the close of the Civil War, when there were those people in Washington who were thinking, now that we have defeated the South, we need to finish them off and put the heel of our boot down into their throat and just let them pay for what they did. Abraham Lincoln said these words in that inaugural address, and I quote, with malice toward none, with charity for all, with firmness in the right, let us do all which may achieve and cherish a just and lasting peace. The opportunity to retaliate, but long-tempered, patient enough 
to push that out for the good of the other person. This is like a mother with kids. By the way, happy Mother's Day, moms. Mom, do your kids ever stand on your last working nerve? I know enough. I, we, I'm so grateful our kids don't live at home anymore. Um, I love my kids, but I love them a, a distance away usually. Um, my, my daughter, she just clutched this for us not too long ago. Within the last week or two, she sent us a video. And she's, now you know, you, some of you met Lauren when she was here, but she has a son who's almost three who specializes in standing on that last working nerve. Uh, and then she has now an almost two-month-old little girl. And so Lauren sends us this video that she took with her phone. They were sitting, she was sitting, stopped sitting in her car on Interstate 45 north of Houston, around the area, around Intercontinental Airport, if you know Houston. They were sitting there, parked on the interstate, because there had been a wreck, a bad wreck up ahead, and it was, they, I think she said they were on, on that spot for about an hour or so. Now, here it is, it's May, and it's in the Houston area, so the heat's getting up, humidity's high, and in the back seat are two children, one of which is a specialist in being cranky in a car seat. The other one is learning from her big brother. And so Lauren sends us this video, and so she points. These two kids in the back are just screaming. I mean, just screaming. And so Lauren takes her phone, and she pans from Declan, the almost three-year-old who's getting after it. And then she moves across, and here's Lennon in her car seat on the other side, and she is raising the roof. And I'm thinking to myself, why did you send this to me? I do not, I don't want to hear. I don't care if they're my grandkids or not. I don't want to hear them screaming. Then Lauren, you know, she knows me well enough. That wasn't the end of the deal. So after she pans across and it's loud, she pulls the camera so you see her. And here's what she says. Straight face, everything's fine. Very calmly she says, have kids, they said. It'll be fun, they said. And I thought to myself, my daughter learned from me well, maybe not for me, but my daughter learned that love is patient. Love is long-tempered. As a mom, it's good to have that kind of love because some days it's hard to be a mom, right? Someday your kids, well, I'll say it this way, Teresa has said on more than one occasion it's harder to be a parent of adult children than it is to be a parent of children who live at home. And there's a lot of truth in that. When you have people in your life, you should just expect that some of them are going to do you wrongly. People are messy. People don't do relationships well, some of them. So you should expect... If you're in a relationship that's grounded in love, you should expect that you will have the opportunity to be long-tempered in your love, not to lash out, not to push back. So when people do you wrongly, how do you respond? 
Love chooses to give space to the one who is offending you. Love is patient, Paul says. It is long-tempered. This is why I say love works over time. Like my son working a 16 and a half hour day on Cinco de Mayo while other people are living it up, he's just working all day long because he wants to get his degree and he's got to finish his internship. But he learned to be patient with people. Long-tempered love works over time. And oh, by the way, this trait of love is thoroughly divine. As a matter of fact, I want to, you can just stay there in 1 Corinthians. I'm going to be over in Exodus 34, verse 6 very quickly. Here's the way God describes himself to Moses. The Lord passed before Moses and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast, steadfast love and faithfulness. Love is patient. Love is long-tempered, not short-fused. That's the first part of that. But love also doesn't just have to work overtime. It doesn't just work and work and work and work overtime. It also has to work over a period of time. That's the second part of this word. If we take it the way some translators take it for us, this is not long-tempered. Now we say that love is long-suffering. It has a nuance of the same, but it is a bit different. Let me go back to our discussion about moms and their kids on this particular Mother's Day. One of the things that is, is reality for us is when, when a kid comes into your home as an infant, as an infant, that child is steeped in sin already. I don't mean that to be an attack on your kids. The reality is for all of sin, come short of the glory of God. That's, we're born with a sin nature. And one of the things that you get with a kid, a, an infant like that, is an, a, a person who is inherently selfish. They do not care, those infants. They don't care if it's 2 o'clock in the morning. If they want something to eat, it's time to feed them. Children are inherently selfish from the earliest point of their lives. One of the early struggles that Teresa and I had as parents trying to get on the same page with our kids is one of our kids has this incredibly strong will, just loved to stand in his crib and scream. And she wanted to go in and check on him. I said, leave him in there. He'll, he'll get tired enough, he'll stop screaming sooner or later. Kids, get on your last nerve or they can you know, that doesn't stop when they get to be teenagers. For those of you with young children, I hate to give you that piece of good news here, but the reality is they just get more developed, more, more creative in their selfishness. You may have one of those kids who's been in this terrible twos for 12 years. It's the human condition. Sometimes you have to suffer long times with those kids. We had this the other night. Teresa and I were invited to go to a graduation. Well, it wasn't a ceremony. It was an awards ceremony uh, for a member of our church who graduated from UTEP. And so we had the opportunity to be out there. And um, there's people sat in front of us, a family sat in front of us. And I don't, they had a number of children. I, I never got to count. You know that one kid I'm talking about? And I don't know how old he was. Uh, probably maybe three or four, something like that. 
But he had this selfish thing down. I, I, he went through the gamut of, of emotions. And he was really mad at some points and let everybody know it. And then he was really happy at some points. And I was watching him and I was trying to think about his mama, or at least it seemed like she was his mom, who was graduating. And I was thinking about what a mother goes through trying to go and get a degree and raise a family and deal with a husband, maybe even have a job, and to do all of that and still find time to sleep. Being a mother is no easy task, and we all recognize that. But that kid reminded me of how long-suffering some of us have to be in our love relationships with other people because they're just going to push the boundaries. People are messy, and selfish people are even messier than that. So love suffers long when you have a person like that in your home or in your circle of relationships. Paul does not give us an out just because it's hard to love people. As a matter of fact, he doubles down with them, not once, but to 15 different times. He says, here's what love does. And he starts with the one that says, even though they are working you over, you love them. So as it turns out, love works over time, but it also works over a period of time, reinvesting itself on a regular basis. You might wonder, especially as a mom today, I'll give you a little special attention here. You might wonder how you're going to find the energy to get through another however many years you have your kids at home or adult children who continue to work on you. The investment is over the long haul, and it takes work on any given day. I learned something about this concept when I lived in the panhandle, and those farmers up there are commercial farmers. Their farms are huge, and uh, I, I watched those farmers in the two or three years that we were up there. I learned something about investment from these guys and ladies because I would see them like, this time of the year. Uh, if best I remember, they're in the process of getting their corn crop up and running. And, uh, and one of the things that I noticed about those farmers were they would be up before daylight every day. And they'd go work, and they were, whether they were moving irrigation around or if they were uh, working on the next project spraying or if they were plowing or if they were working on equipment, whatever it was, they were up before dawn and work well past sundown. And then they would go to bed and get up to do it all over again. And they did that day after day after week after month. And I kept thinking, man, these people are working so hard for such a long period of time. How do they do that? And I finally got one of them to say enough to me where I figured it out. It's not the day-to-day stuff that was their focus. They always focused on the harvest. They could do the day-to-day stuff over time because they knew that there was coming a day where there would be a harvest and would all be worthwhile. Their investment would pay off. So let me turn that to those of you who are moms in here or parents in here and say it to you this way. On those days when your kids seem to be just working you over and you're out of energy, out of patience, remember this. You are not babysitting children in your home. 
you're raising humans who will turn out to be adults, who will go out into society and either make a contribution or not. And so the day-to-day stuff for you, as hard as it is, what you need is, a, is some love that keeps you invested with them, that works over time and works over a period of time, but it works and it has to keep working. And one day, the day of all days for you, God will allow those children to leave your home. It's a glorious day when that happens. And, and the day-to-day stuff that you do, one day that investment will pay off and you will look at your adult children and you'll see the hand of God in their lives. And it will be hard to get them there, but it's a great day when you do. So how is it with you and your love life? Are you working it? Are you patiently sitting back, just taking it as it comes? Love works. It works over time, and it works over time. But only if you work it. Let's pray. And as we pray, I'll ask you to personalize this message today. Is love at work in your life and in your heart? You experienced the love of Jesus Christ in your life? Have you accepted the life that he offers to you? If not, that's where you have to start. You can't live this kind of love if you don't have it in you already. Matter of fact, Galatians 5.22 says that this patience that we're talking about is one of the fruits of the Spirit. It, it, it has to be a God thing for you or you're not going to pull it off. So if God's not in your life, then that's where you start. Today would be a great day to do that. This invitation time is available for you to do that. We'll start a conversation with you, help you understand who Jesus is and what he offers you in life. Many of us know him as our Savior, but his love living through us is a bit of a challenge. Maybe there was a time in your life you did it really well and it slipped somewhere and got a little little cynical, a little tired, and a little bit edgy. God says, there is love for you. Love needs to be applied through you into the lives of other people. This is a great time to get that straight. And Father, we, use, we ask you to use this time to change hearts, change lives, point us to your love, and then help us to be committed to sharing it with others. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand and sing. You come.